This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook Design works on an enormous and diverse range of interesting problems. So I asked Carla Cole what's her biggest challenge with designing for Facebook, and here's what she said. The biggest challenge for designing for Facebook is that we have to design so many things for emerging markets. Well, not just for the U.S., but also for emerging markets. So we're often thinking about how this is going to look in, look on low-end devices and high-end devices. So it's a challenge, but it's a, a great challenge. And I'm glad that we think about this. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Mapbox is looking for a new head of design. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for even more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. Join more than 14 million people who use MailChimp to not only send email newsletters, but to grow their businesses on their own terms. Start sending professional-looking newsletters to your clients today for free. Sign up at MailChimp.com. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and that's where Hover comes in. Choose your domain name from the hundreds of extensions out there and start building that new project you've been waiting on today. Right now, you can get a .me domain for only $9.99 a year. That's pretty good. Use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save an additional 10% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we're holding steady at 41 patrons for a new record high total of $278 per month. Again, thanks to all of you who have pledged your support and your appreciation for the show. I know I say it means a lot. I really cannot stress enough how much it means to me that we have so many dedicated and loyal patrons. If you enjoy what we do here at Revision Path, if you enjoy the guests that we have on the show, if you've gotten any value from listening to any of the interviews or reading any of the articles, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get some great perks like early access to future episodes and free Revision Path goodies. Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge level started just $1 a month. $1, that's four quarters, that's, that's nothing. But again, they start at $1 a month, and it's a really great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with designer and front-end web developer, Paul Anthony Webb. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Paul Anthony Webb, and I am a Boston-based front-end web designer and developer. Talk to me about some of the work that you're doing in Boston. You're working for a startup right now, is that right? Yep. This startup is called Quirrell, and it is all about 
helping medium-sized businesses track lab devices or like patient files, things like that with RFID technology. So what I do is I create dashboards to just visualize the data that's coming in through our platform. How long have you been working with them? I think like almost two years now. Okay. So they're already out there on the market and everything. Got customers and stuff. Yep. Yep. (laughs) The only issue is like these customers move extremely slow. Mm. So, I mean, aside from that, it's pretty cool. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd say as long as are the customers, I mean, is this like a paid service or something like that? Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, I guess if the customers are paying you, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad at all. <laughs> yep. <laughs> What's a typical day like for you there? Typical uh, would be just like me coming in and continuing work from the day before, which is these days just... Uh, Working on a kind of mock solution so we can, well, so my boss and my coworker, they can go to prospective customers and be like, hey, look, we have a, we like our solution can do this thing here. And then they'll just show what I designed and it looks like super nice and interactive. And there's usually dummy data in that, but like we can obviously switch that out with live data. It's just to better visualize just like high level things clearly because just saying, oh, we can use RFID to track this and do this. Like some people benefit better if they can actually see what that explanation is. So I kind of like help out with that. And then other days when we're starting on a brand new project, we just, you know, go through the entire project flow and just ask, just ask the customers what they need and work with them on what the best solution is. So I'm just basically all the everything you can click on. I do. And then my coworker, he does all the back end stuff. Yeah, I was about to ask, you know, you say that you're a front end developer and a designer. Does that mean that you're designing and coding all this as well? Yep, absolutely. Wow. I mean, I know in startups, usually people have those multiple roles. Do you feel like, like, what would you say is kind of your split between doing the two? Are you doing more design or more development? I would say it's actually more development because you basically just need to get all the data in there and working together. And then the design is kind of just like a nice frosting because in this space, a lot of RFID solutions just look like garbage. Like it's (laughs) like, it's just sad. It's just stuck in like 1998 and nobody knows any better. So when our customers or, or even new customers who've been working with RFID for years, they see our stuff, even like my most basic designs, they're, they're just blown away. And, and my boss tells me all the time, it's just like, Hey, we have another happy, customer they just kept saying wow there's color wow <laughs> yeah i remember when i was in in college i had a friend at the time when we were we both knew who we were you know we both uh, met each other we were both computer science majors and i initially switched to math and i started doing more design stuff but i remember we were putting together i don't know like this prototype service called virtual student where we would buy books from the bookstore we would scan them using like, you know, OCR technology and render them into PDFs. So mm-hmm. then people could buy the books that way and we'd like split the difference or something like that. It wasn't huh. really, it sounded a lot better in theory than in practice. <laughs> <laughs>
he would always make these really great things. And I'm like, they're just all these gray boxes. Like, can we put some red in here or some blue? Like, can we add some kind of color to this or something like that? Mm. So it's, it's kind of interesting how there's that disconnect between, I guess there can be this disconnect between design and development when it comes to just making things look pleasant to the user. Mm-hmm. Like designers are concerned with making sure that it works. It seems like, and I'm sorry, developers are concerned with making sure that it works and designers are concerned with making sure that it looks good. And there can be a balance between that. I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There have been times where I will design something and then I'll just go, Oh man, this is great. And then I'll code it as well. And then my coworker will just be like, Hey, so what does this do? I'm not quite sure. And in my mind, I have like this whole thing mapped out and I'm just like, oh, wait, I guess this could be a little more obvious. And he was like, oh, okay, that's pretty. But yeah, I had no idea what that was. Mm -hmm. So there's some give and take. How did you first get involved with, I guess, with both, with both design and development? How did you decide that you kind of wanted to focus on both? Well, with design, I think that started more like towards the end of high school, I started getting interested in modding Windows XP and I was on DeviantArt a lot and I saw people just making these fantastic skins and I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And so I got into the modding scene first, not really creating anything myself because like people were using, oh my God, window blinds. I remember window blinds. Yeah, that was such, that. That was such fantastic software and then like they knew how to work with the like how to code and like what size to make each like close button and like window controls and I that was just too much for me so I just (laughs) let other people do what I would download it but then at some point while I was in college briefly I was looking more at tutorials on like Photoshop and trying to do things myself And I was like, "Eh, you know, this doesn't seem too difficult. I want to try my hand at doing vector stuff. And that eventually led to me wanting to code my own websites. And yeah, from there, I just got an internship. And at this agency here in Boston called ThoughtBot, and one of the co-founders at the time, he told me that my design was interesting and promising but my web skills were crap (laughs) i said it nicer than he did okay but but, and i was like what and he was like no 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 this is good we can train you we can build you up we can make you stronger basically six million dollar man yeah and have the technology yeah (laughs) and they definitely did so it was from there that i just like kept doing it more and more and more and more I guess that's like that's basically how I got to where I am today. How would you describe your personal design style? I feel like it's always in flux. I like looking at futuristic anime interfaces, so I try to emulate those sometimes, but also I like simplistic minimalist things, so it's kind of like a fusion between Like all those things, like retro future minimalism with like color. Retro future. You should trademark that. That's a nice (laughs) phrase. And I mean, with that vision, there's I mean, there's a lot of things. Of course, I you know did my research, but there's so many projects that you've got on your plate right now, aside from the work that you're doing startup. 
There's yep. Beachfront Digital. There's Vendo Market. You've got a clothing line. <laughs> How do you approach a new project? Like when an idea comes to you, what's your process to get started? I write down everything that's coming to mind on pretty much anything I can find, any scrap of paper, or if I don't have any paper near me, I'll just open up my iPad and just write my ideas in there. And that's kind of annoying because like there's no there's no way to bring all these like ideas in one place because I write them on like random things. I have I have so many post-its, I have so many moleskins and other pocket notebooks. But for new ideas typically they're in the same place or close to the same place. So I just start there and then I might sketch out some layouts, like some like really crude layout sometimes, then I'll just jump right into code to just see my idea manifest as fast as possible. So then I can just build from there. I'm good about the post-its too. I usually carry like a little, you know, those three by three post-it notes with me because I'm always scratching down ideas and I've got them in notebooks. I have several notebooks. I've got like, even my wallet has a notebook in it. (laughs) Like it has like a, one of those really small, moleskin notebooks in it mm-hmm. so i usually will have that and write ideas down i've got the regular sort of pocket size i've got a larger size but i have several i'm kind of a notebook junkie in general oh man and eventually i will fill all these notebooks up i have with something but it, i have to resist the urge now when i see a new notebook somewhere and not to buy it because i'm mm-hmm. like the latest one i bought was the spike lee she's gotta have it moleskin that was the latest oh. one I bought. And I, I probably will never use it <laughs> because, I mean, that's a collector's item in and of itself. I'll never use it. It's still in the plastic. but Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I recently purchased and like I am just like you. A few years ago, I was like, I'm not buying another notebook for a very long time. I have like few notes like still in plastic that I have not opened. And over this weekend, I saw... I saw an ad on Facebook and Field Notes does these uh, special edition ones all the time. And like every time I see one, it's usually months later. And it's like, oh, well, you missed that. We only printed like, you know, a handful of these. And I saw this one and it's like a shiny metallic front. I was like, ooh, I need that. <laughs> and so I bought it and I just got the tracking number email today. But <laughs> I was doing so well. That's not the first like set I've purchased in quite some time. So I, I guess I don't feel too bad about it. Now, see, I don't know if I really care that much about the special edition. I just like the availability of having something to write something down with. Because usually all my notebooks are in some kind of a leather cover anyway. And they actually, I got all the leather covers from the same place. This, uh, this shop on Etsy called One Star Leather Goods. Highly mm. recommended. Got to check it out. Highly recommend it. Really great stuff. Uh, okay. But, but all the notebooks I have are, I just stuff them inside that and I go about my day. So I've got my latest, I wouldn't say obsession, but, you know, Baron Fig has the Confidant notebook. Hmm. I don't know if you've seen this. It's a, I sort of call it the anti-moleskin because it's a little bit shorter than the, I guess it's the, what, the five by eight size moleskin. It's a little bit shorter and a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. But the cover, you can either get it in charcoal gray or like a darker, like slate gray. It opens flat. 
It's got like this yellow print bookmark. I sort of call it the anti-moleskin just because of the size of it. But I had one of those. I just bought one. Oh, you know what? I, I got one because I supported their Kickstarter when they first mm. came out. And so I got it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really nice. I was rubbing the cover because the cover was like this gray <laughs> like fabric. I'm like, this is really nice. This feels like something you want to write really important stuff down in. But I said, I'm not going to buy another one of these because I'm just not. And then <laughs> last year, no, not last year. This was in 2015. I was at Vox Media in Washington, D.C. at their offices doing work. Oh, I was boy. working for them. And they have boxes of these that are just custom Vox Media, you know, Baron Fig notebooks. And they're like, here, take one, take five, <laughs> take a bunch of them. So now I've got like 10 of them oh, here at man. home. Enablers. <laughs> That I'll never, I'm probably never going to work my way through. I should probably sell them or something. I don't know. But they've got Vox Media, like, stamped in the cu- in the corner. They're nice notebooks. They are. They're really nice. I just, I don't know when I'm ever going to use them. Eventually, I did buy a leather cover for that. Because I'm like, if I am going to use it eventually, I at least want it to look nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so, with all of these processes and things like that, do you have any sort of way that you catalog all of this stuff? Do you, or you just keep it in notebooks and go back through it when you need to? Oh, no. There is no way I can do that. Well, I have a like a huge whiteboard that I took from my mom like years ago. So, so it doesn't like erase things very well. So I have stuff on that. And then I bought like a, I bought a smaller whiteboard and I just have pretty much all the ideas that are like constantly going through my head right now of which like I have it hanging behind my desk, but I feel like there's, there's probably like at least like 25 things on it. And they're just like all sorts of projects. So I keep things there. I keep things in my own like self-hosted GitLab instance. I have like all my projects in there. Well, that I started coding for anyway. Mm -hmm. And just my phone. (laughs) There are several places where I just constantly remind myself, hey, hey, there's this thing you want to do. Yeah. So I guess it never you never get that feeling that. There's really something that I should be working on because there's always something that you could potentially oh, pick Absolutely. up and start doing. Mm-hmm. I haven't quite gotten to the whiteboard stage yet. I did buy, this was also probably something else off Kickstarter, this uh, product called Wipebook, where it's basically a whiteboard notebook. Hmm. And it's, I mean, it's a pretty big notebook, which is probably why I don't use it. It's, it's bigger than like a standard eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. But I've used that before, and it's like, it's one of those things that sounds good in theory. And then you start using it, and it's like, yeah, this doesn't really make sense. <laughs> because because you write stuff down in a notebook to keep it there. Right. And because it's a dry erase, you could do whatever and then just erase it. And it's like, okay. So it's like the Snapchat of taking notes? The Snapchat of taking <laughs> I guess so. I guess you can put it that way. And it's there's like 32 pages in the notebook, which doesn't make sense because if you can erase it, why wouldn't it just be one page or two pages, like a hinge or something? I don't know, but I don't even use it anymore. I put a bunch of stickers on it and was like, yeah, I'm going to really use this a whole lot. And I took it home when I went to visit back home a few years ago and started writing. And I was like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. Because first of all, you have to write on it in a marker. I'm used to writing with like fine tipped pens, like 0.5 Mm. millimeter pens and stuff. I'm like, this feels weird. Like all the writing is kind of like jumbled together. It's 
because usually with dry erase, you're doing like big things, like you're drawing figures or or right. stuff like that. It's not really meant for like journal writing or writing at smaller sizes. So it, it sounded good for a while. And then I just said, <laughs> eh, I probably will never, never use it. Now when I do use it, because I still use it, I just have to alter the way that I think about using it is I mm. use it when I'm sketching out and doing wireframes. Yeah. Wireframes or maybe like playing around with logos because it's easier for drawing bigger things mm-hmm. and not just for like writing or jotting down notes because jotting down notes with it feels feels odd. Yeah, it just sounds odd. Good Very in theory. Peculiar. I mean, it's, it's a good product. You just have to think of the best kind of use for it, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. So if you can or if you if you want to, what are some of the projects that you're kind of still waiting to get started on do you have anything that you can sort of leak out or or anything like that oh well this project came out out of conversation on the revision path slack ah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like i don't know who posted the initial question a couple weeks back but someone was asking about quality stock photography featuring people of color Mm -hmm. and People chimed in and was like, and and were just like, hey, here are some some links here, or some links there, and these are all I've got. I haven't seen anything like like just that expands on us at all. The first thing I do when I have ideas is I go to Hover.com and I just oh, and I know they sponsor this podcast a lot, but this is not a sponsoring. I just like Hover. <laughs> I go to Hubbard.com and I just search for domain names because I just love finding awesome domains, which is where Beachfront Digital came from. But I searched for blackstock.photo and it was available. So I was like, ooh, okay. And then I searched for blackstock.video and that was available. So so I mentioned that blackstock.photo was available, but that, you know, I have all these other projects going on. I'm not trying to start a new one. And then Lynn was like, hey, you should start this project. <laughs> and, <laughs> and once you do, I'll join you on it. And then other people were like, yeah, do this project. And so then I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this new project. And so I bought both of those domain names. But I don't have a like release time for this, but I definitely want this to come out as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is going to be a crowdsourced thing. So so the community and the world at large can build up a nice repository of black stock photography. And I'm not sure how the video one is going to work. I haven't really seen like good examples of video stock, but I'm sure I can figure that out at some point. But the photo one is definitely coming first. I just have to get some of my other projects out the way and then I can work on that one. Yeah, that's really dope that that idea came out of our Slack community. I mean, for people that are listening that are not part of the Slack community, there's a link in the show notes if you want to join. You should totally come check it out, chop it up with us. We have a bunch of different channels and stuff. And the Lynn that you're speaking about, just to clarify, is Lynn Muldrow, right? Mm-hmm. And Lynn Muldrow was on our show. She was episode 161. For stock video, I'm thinking, have you heard of Dissolve? Nope. Uh, I think it's dissolve.com or something. I mean, I think if you just do a search for dissolve and stock video, 
they're kind of one of the main people that have a bunch of stock video. Them and Pond5, P-O-N-D, the number five. Both of them I know have stock video. I like the idea of, of kind of, you know, doing black stock photography like that because I know that there are a couple of different sites that are doing it or have done it or were doing it. But there's still, I think, certain needs out there for stock. I mean, stock photography is a big, that's a lot to cover when you think about it. And Oh, yeah. There's just some things that we're not going to be able to find. Like I know when we were talking about it in the Slack community, people were like, yeah, I can't really find like black people doing stuff on a computer <laughs> right. or, or, or black hands doing X, Y, Z, like black hands chopping vegetables or, mm-hmm. or like black hands in the kitchen or black, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that, which is fairly mundane, but is germane to kind of the work that we do if we want to put that kind of slant on our projects and stuff. I know even mm-hmm. when I'm looking for, for stock, I'm always trying to find the black or brown people for what I'm trying to communicate through an image. Right. And it's tough. It's it's really tough. I know the options like, yeah, well, I could just sort of snap it myself. But then that's a whole other issue because you got to take time out to yeah. maybe find a model and do staging. And it's it's easier said than done. It would be much easier if there were a decent repository that you could go to and find these sorts of things. So does I guess, you know, since this is still in the nascent stages, is Blackstock Photo going to aggregate some of these things together in one place? Or do you think it will serve more as its own like separate stock photography repository? I think both because like it would make sense to just link to, to the other projects that people have already made. And I guess to just build a network to just like, just combine everything. And I mean, they'll, well, I can contact people behind these other projects and just be like, Hey, would you want to be featured on the site or whatever? So they can either re-upload things or just, like, be a link on the site. I don't know. Something like that. And I think they, you know, they should be up for it. I mean, it's going to help them get the word out about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I know Women of Color in Tech, when they did their stock photography, theirs was really popular. I know they've, I guess, discontinued doing it now, but they've put the images up for for public use on Flickr and on some other places, too. Oh, Nice. I mean, I've used those on the on the site as well. I mean, they're they're great images. I see them all the time. I do. I see them everywhere. So it's it's really good that stuff like that is really getting out there for more people to use. Nice. So with the success that you have now, what would you say has been the biggest compromise that you've had to make to get there? I don't know. Well, let me let me let me change that then. Do you feel like you've had to make a compromise? <laughs> Not really. Well, like in a previous job that I've had, there was a lot of conflict between myself and my senior uh, front-end design person. It was just me and one other person doing doing front-end, and we clashed often. And I feel like a major part of that was my attitude And so I basically had to like just learn how to take myself out of the out of like my frustration about things. Like if I would suggest something and then it was like shot down or whatever, I would just be like, but why? This is a brilliant idea. I came up with it like that was kind of my thought process in a way, which is like not correct when you're on a team 
because it's like what's best for the project as a whole. So yeah, that's the only thing I could think of. But like, and what happens when, well, what I like to do when situations like that happen, where there's like a huge learning experience, I like to write about it. So I, I put it on my portfolio blog and then I actively work to try to change my view on just like group things. And I definitely came away from that better, I feel, in terms of like just brainstorming with other people. But aside from that, like, I don't know. I feel like everything that that has happened, should have happened, was supposed to happen. I don't know. No, that's great. I mean, it's, I know, you know, I've, when I've asked that question before, it's always one that kind of throws people off a little bit. But <laughs> Threw me off. Well, no, I mean, I, I say it because I want to, you know, try to get to the root of, of certain things. But I guess if you feel like everything has worked out in your favor so far, that's it's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good about it. <laughs> What's a lesson that you've learned? Like, I don't know, maybe a lesson that you learned in the past before that now you know is just completely wrong. Like if you've learned <laughs> through life experiences, like, yeah, that's not true. Having to do things a specific way, I think, because I know there are plenty of companies that publish blog posts and now medium posts about process and like, here's the correct way to build SaaS products. Here's the correct way to structure your code and all this stuff. And really like there is no one right way. It's just what works for whatever project or thing you're working on at the time Mm -hmm. for companies. it, It like, I mean, it makes sense to have a style guide. So like, well, a style guide for like brand and for coding because that makes it easier for new people to be onboarded and whatnot. But in terms of like doing every single project, like a studio gets, for example, like it doesn't make sense to approach every customer the exact same way. Right. And I feel like early on in my career, like I just saw leaders in what whatever companies I was at just basically use the same tool at every problem. It's like where you could have used a hammer right there while you're using a screwdriver. That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Like, because all of these things use this, it's just like, no, I remember reading something, you know, you mentioned medium. I read something where this guy was talking about how nonprofit organizations should not print in color, like Mm -hmm. their, their collateral materials and stuff. And the reason for it being is he worked on one project. And in that one project, I guess they, I don't know, tabulated up the printing costs. And they figured, wow, it would be cheaper if we printed in black and white instead of in color. Ipso facto, no nonprofit should print in color, which is stupid. (laughs) I can see in that particular instance where it would have made sense. I think even in the piece, the person is like, I'm not good at math, but our secretary figured it out. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But someone will post something like that and think, wow, this is so profound. And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> this is an isolated case that happened on one particular project. This is not something that you can shout from the rooftops as gospel. You know? Yeah. Design has to have some color in it. Right. And that's kind of my issue with medium as a whole. It's just like, 
certain polls just gain traction and people just run with it and they just run around to like different forums and go, see, see, this person said this thing and all these people shared it and commented and liked on it. So that means it's true. And it's just like, come on. <laughs> I guess I'll have to tell you where I found that link then. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, where else are you going to get your uh, design news? <laughs> right. Yeah, I did. I found it on uh, on designer news. Can we talk about designer news for a minute? Oh, please. I, I just, just want to talk about it because I know that you you frequent and use it a lot. I frequent and use it a lot. I don't know if there's a conversation out there with two black people that use that service. What do you think of designer news? Like, Because you've been on there for what, like how many years? Man, like a little after it launched. Oh, like after it first launched, like when it was on Layer Vault. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. They're a lot longer than I have. Yeah, I wasn't one of the originators, but like one of the colors you get from from being a member at some point, like I have one of the colors you can't get anymore. Okay. But yeah, uh, when it first started, I was like, wow, this is so cool. This is like Hacker News, but for design. I was like, you know what? This is great. And I got so much like value out of it and content. And then it eventually, huh, you know what? After it switched from Layer Vault, it just became this like broy, like community, and I and it's <laughs> it kind of seems like I was just in Brooklyn and I just saw it get gentrified. And I was <laughs> like, where did this Whole Foods come from? Interesting. Like I'm just looking around and like all these weird conversations are happening, and I'm just like, huh, okay, interesting. And then, like, yeah, I eventually just started phasing out. Like, I go on it, like, maybe once a week now. Yeah. When I used to go all the time and, like, share cool websites I found on the internet. And I would just always be sharing the exact, because I would think, oh, other designers would appreciate this. But now I'm just like, I don't even know what's going on here. So, I, so Revision Path kind of became my new designer news because I, and that's where I go to share my stuff now or share cool things I find. Oh, well, I'm glad we could be that alternative. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I started using designer news, I think about, I don't know, maybe about three years ago, probably. It was when it was on Layer Vault, but it was, I think, maybe about a year or so before it switched over. And for people that are listening that don't know, what the hell we're talking about. Designer News is a, I guess, community slash forum. It's at designernews.co. I guess even calling it Designer News is a bit of a misnomer because mm. the most designers that are on there tend to be UI, UX. Yeah. Um, I guess there's some web and graphic, but there doesn't seem to be that much diversity among the type of design. So I guess it's just more yeah. like digital design news if you really want to kind of be specific about it. And as you join, there are certain behaviors that you do, whether it's making comments or upvoting posts or people upvote your posts. For example, you earn certain little, I guess, badges or social proof. Uh, one of them are the use of colors, which you can use for, for customizing your profile image. Mm -hmm. uh, you gain karma points from people if they upvote comments or posts that you put out. So, there's there's that sort of, you know, kind of almost like a Reddit style mechanic with, you know, kind of what floats to the top. And sort of what you're discussing is that 
when the service, which was initially by this company called Layer Vault, Designer News was kind of a, a side project that they did. And it was, I think, a bit more, eh, probably a bit more egalitarian, mm-hmm. I, I, you could say. But then they sold it to this Canadian publisher, this guy, Andrew Wilkinson. And the whole tone of the community has changed. Like you said, it is a lot more bro It's certainly pretty, I don't know if I say hostile. It, it can be hostile towards women and people of color, depending mm. on what you post. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's yeah. not to say that it's it's a bad community for women or people of color. But sometimes someone will, will make a post about diversity or about women or something like that, and the trolls just come out of the woodwork. The one thing, I guess, that if you could put a positive spin on is that you know these people's names and where they work and what their Twitter accounts are. Oh, yeah. So you oh, actively yeah. know, like, these are the people I need to avoid. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I guess that works. But like like you, I only go on there maybe once a week. I post Revision Path episodes on there because I do get an audience from there. Mm-hmm. They might not upvote any article, any uh, <laughs> any articles that I post or any episodes that I put out. People may never leave comments, but mm-hmm. I put it there because it goes out into their master feed or whatever. And so many other services subscribe to that and tweet it out and push it out. So it does end up getting pushed out to a larger audience just by me putting it in this one place. That's the only reason that I'm on there is to post stuff about Revision Path. If you look at my my history, it's like Revision Path episode, Revision Path episode, Revision Path episode. And I will maybe put some other articles here and there. But largely, it's just a way for me to get out the word about Revision Path. I may leave a comment, you know, here or there if the spirit moves me but for the most part no not really it's a shame oh well it is a shame i i think the the turning point for a lot of people was actually a post about the design disruptors documentary that envision put out osandi robinson had put this post out about you know where are the people of color i think inside this documentary and and the responses were just I got people responding to me about that post in person. Wow. In yeah. Yeah. Only for, you know, only for leaving, not for even leaving bad comments, but for just saying like, this is ridiculous. Like the way that you people are acting makes absolutely no sense. Or if there are people that you're looking for, because I remember the, the marketing director for Envision had like came inside the, the thread and was like, oh, well, if, if there are people of color that we should know about, let me know. And I gave him like a list of, <laughs> like 12 or 13 people, all Revision Path guests. I don't wow. think he followed up with any of them. Hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it's oh, it was just, yeah. And I think for a lot of people, that was the turning point. But there's been other things that have been put up. I think the most recent one was this project that Helena Price put out called The Pussy Project. Mm-hmm. I think it was sort of done in in response to Donald Trump's remarks about, you know, grabbing women uh. by the genitals. And what she did was sort of this photo project where people talked, where women talked about sexual assault. And someone put it in in designer news, like as a, you know, show me like, oh, look at this site. And the responses were, oh, this is not safe for work. Like, <laughs> you know, just because it had, had that word in it. But, you know, also just it got really like oddly political. Yeah. Designer <sighs> news is. Why do we go there? 
<laughs> you, 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 you know what? I was thinking to myself the same thing. It's like, do I like pain? What? What am I doing with my life? Do am I, like I bored? I mean, really, I go, I post, you know, like I said, Revision Path episodes, and I'm out. I do go through there and look at the top stories and the recent stories only because I know so many people in our industry look to that site as, I don't want to say like a beacon or anything, but that's like their news ticker. Mm-hmm. So I look at it to keep abreast of what's going on, what I should know about, or what might be the latest thing or something, because I don't think I'm going to really get that from any other design source mm-hmm. you know like aiga and putting out something like that yeah you know and certainly tech sites will have more tech things but not mm-hmm. design stuff like i don't think i'm going to go on TechCrunch and see them talking about sketch or this latest design course that's out or something like that so right it, it has its purpose but i just oh yeah it's tricky <laughs> like, i have a contentious relationship with designer news yeah, I just look at the recent like page, and I do find good things from time to time. I just wish there was more than one source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many medium stuff. I know for a while they had a lot of problems with spam being posted, and I don't know. I guess they're trying to get better, but it's yeah, it's something. <laughs> I again, I just really kind of use it for that ticker, and I use it to to get out word about revision path. And I know that I have gained you know, visitors and fans from the site from that. So mm-hmm. it's good that I'm able to sort of use it in that way. But outside of that, man, I don't know. There's other run-ins I've had with designer news that I'll mention outside of this podcast. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> to put nobody else's business out on the street, but uh, that place is, whoo, yeah. If you're a white male UI UX designer, designer news is the place for you. Oh, 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 if, yeah. If you're, if you're if you're anything outside of that, just be cautious. If you're a person of color, if you're not straight, there's just a bunch of yeah. Just be careful. Just be cautious. I'm not saying it's gonna jump out at you, but it's right. just I don't know. It's not a friendly environment. Which, ironically, their slogan is "Be nice or else," which sounds yeah. like a threat. you know like or else like you can just see the shaking fist behind that statement like right yeah interesting (laughs) how do you get back your creativity if you feel like i don't know i mean i know it seems like you always have ideas but how do you get your creativity back if you're feeling uninspired about something i typically just take a break and i just go away from my computer screen and I'll either play Splatoon, Deus Ex, like one of those games, and then, or just watch something on Netflix. Just, just anything that is not that doesn't have to do with my computer, and I'll just like go and take pictures of life or whatever, just all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come back later, and my brain will be refreshed, and then something random <laughs> will pop out of me, and I be inspired or re-inspired to do something or I'll for some reason find a solution to an issue that's been bugging me. Yeah. And it's so weird how that works. Like I'll be stuck and then I'll complain to my girlfriend. I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't get this thing. So aggravating. And she's like, calm down, do something else. And I'll (laughs) go, all right, cool. And then (laughs) My, sometimes it's 10 minutes later. Sometimes it's like three hours later. But I'll just go, oh, babe, hey, figured it out. She was like, yeah, I know. You always do. 
So <laughs> it's just like she is a great reminder sometimes when when I'm just like too like zoned in on something. So really, you just kind of just take a breather. That That's what helps the most. Yeah. To you, what does it mean to be a designer today? Because it sounds like with the work that you not just with your regular nine to five work, but all your side projects, you kind of dabble in a lot of different things. And they all kind of fall into that realm of design of creation. But to you, what does it mean to be a designer today? To be a designer today, I feel it means you just have to be fearless and just do. Like, just go out and create something. That's basically it. Just put your thoughts out there in some tangible way, like that you can see it or feel it. And just keep working at it, I guess. So for someone that might be listening that is is stuck on how to do that, like maybe they've got ideas, but they don't know where to start. What advice would you give them? Find some paper, get something to write with and just and just scribble. Just put something on paper, whatever you're thinking. If you're not thinking anything, just like start drawing lines and shapes and something will come to your mind eventually. So just kind of get the block out by doing that? Is that is that how it helps you? Yep. Like, I typically use my iPad in this app called Procreate. I, I have the iPad Pro and the Pencil, so I just, I just open that up. And <laughs> it's a drawing app, but I don't even use it for that. I just use it to, like, write notes. Mm-hmm. And, and really, like, as soon as I see, like, a line moving out, like, that instantly just like helps somehow. One thing I remember as I was reading through and, and kind of doing research on you, and it's interesting because when you mentioned your style earlier as retro future minimalist, is that what you said? Something like that? <laughs> yep. You mentioned that your parents hated video games and they oh, never yeah. let you play them. But it seems like the yep. work that you're doing kind of has a bit of a, not necessarily a video gamey kind of feel, but it has like this, sort of digital, like 80s digital imprint on it. Mm-hmm. Is that where that comes from? Maybe. I'm not <laughs> sure. Like, huh, I, I never thought about that. But there have been a couple of instances in my childhood where my parents would just take away my game systems. And, like, I've never had a, had a home console because my parents were like, you can go outside and play. Uh-huh. There are all the graphics like, <laughs> 3d virtual yep, reality actual right? reality <laughs> yeah just, just like you want to live in a dream world look out it's the world wow like this is trash you don't need all this stuff you have all the imagination in your head which i guess helps me now because i had to go outside and they create my own fun but yeah, I remember I bought a DS for myself. Like I got a job and I bought my I imported my DS. And okay. this was when this import site called Lixang was still around. They were also like allowing people to import these like DS game cards with SD card slots and Nintendo didn't like that. So they got sued out of existence. But before this, I bought my DS and I went to my mom. I was like, ha, look. I got my own game system. You can't take it away from me because I bought it. And she was like, so? (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. You did it with your money. That's your whatever. I don't care. But 
I like since then it's just been awesome. But in regards to design, I'm going to have to like do some self reflection and figure this out. Maybe that that is where it's from. I think also like I mean I was born in '88, so I didn't really experience the '80s. But looking back. Like, it just seemed like the 80s were so much fun. And, like, this is when, like, all the music, oh, my God, synthesizers. I love synthesizers. Mm -hmm. And, like, they use so much neon color. And, like, just, like, that time period, the art direction of everything just appeals to me so much. Yeah. It just looks great. And I always find inspiration in that. So... Yeah, I, I think not being able to have as much technology growing up and then seeing the era where my parents grew up and they did have all the technology they want has somehow fused into my design. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was born in 81, so I remember, I distinctly remember growing up, I the first console I got was an NES. My cousin Jeff got an Atari, so we, we played... <laughs> Atari and, and Nintendo Entertainment System. As I remember, I mean, Nintendo pretty much ruled the 80s in terms of, of everything, not just video games. I mean, cartoons, they had breakfast cereal, there was apparel, there was honestly, like, you couldn't grow up in the 80s and not know in some shape, form, or fashion what Nintendo was unless, you know, your parents just kind of completely divorced you from all of that because it was everywhere. Like, Mario was ubiquitous. And so right around the time I remember the Game Boy came out and I mean, there was, you know, Sega Genesis and the, the Master System and all that. But mm. I mean, they could not touch how ubiquitous Mario was. I mean, they just it just couldn't. It's interesting. I wonder if a lot of the creativity that came out of that time, not just around kind of, you know, this burgeoning technology. It's interesting how much of it is still around to this day, how much of it is still kind of in vogue and influences things like you think about chiptune music mm-hmm. and and retro gaming a lot of it still emulates that old pixelated like 8-bit 16-bit style and maybe that's because a lot of the creators that are doing it now came of age mm-hmm. during that time and so it's that level ah. of nostalgia mm-hmm. for that time that that makes them want to create things in that vein because it makes them feel happy maybe that's part of it i don't know that makes sense but yeah, man, the 80s were, oh man, I remember there was, to speak of how Nintendo was everywhere, I mean, Nintendo had, at the time, I mean, not Nintendo the company, I guess maybe they licensed, you know, characters and things, but I remember a bunch of different shows. Zelda had a cartoon show, The Legend of Zelda had a cartoon show, Super Mario Brothers had a live show and cartoon shows based off Super Mario 2, Super Mario 3, and Super Mario World, but that was like Super Mario World was like in the nineties, like early nineties, I think. I want to say, yeah, or my, like early mid nineties, something like that. My daughter watches the Super Mario cartoon on Netflix, and it weirds me out because <laughs> just like I wasn't even thought of when this came <laughs> out, and you like know the theme song. It's so weird. Yeah, because I I think. And again, all of this is, you know, sort of tied into, you know, greater things with merchandising, because when Super Mario 3 came out, I mean, it was everywhere, aside from it being super popular on consoles. I mean, you think about it, you know, this is like, I don't know when Mario 3 came out, I want to say like 88, 89, something like that. You had 
Nintendo, you had your, your gaming system. Nintendo also had a magazine, Nintendo Power. Mm-hmm. Nintendo had a television show, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. There was toys. There was breakfast cereal. There was apparel. You could not go anywhere and escape Mario 3. Mario 3 was was like, I feel like the event of my early childhood was Mario 3. Wow. And, um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. There was another show called Captain N and the Game Master, which I guess was sort of like a more adult. It was still a kid show, but a more adult kid show where you had this, you know, the random protagonist, Kevin, that has his magic belt buckle. That's an NES controller. And he falls into this <laughs> mystical world with Princess Lana, who is just some generic princess. But the the other mm-hmm. people that are there are also Nintendo franchise characters. There's Mega Man. There's Simon Belmont from Castlevania. Eventually, they pick up Game Boy, like the Game Boy <laughs> system when the Game Boy came out. Um, okay. It was something. And then they would go through all these different video games and fight. And the, the main villain was Mother Brain. And, and, <laughs> and Mother Brain had the eggplant wizard from Kid Icarus. Oh, that's right. Kid Icarus was also in the <laughs> in the show. But they had the eggplant villain from from Kid Icarus, and then they had, I want to say they had, I can't remember who the other villain was. I want to say it was a boxer from Mike Tyson's Punch Out. I have to look it up. I don't really remember off the top of my head. I'm surprised I remember that much. I mean, I don't know how well that show has aged. I don't even know if it's like out on Netflix or anything like that. I mean, but it was, and the thing was that the show hyped up the games as they came out because I remember. Simon Belmont was on there, and this was around the time that Castlevania 2 came out, which to me is like the best of the early Castlevania series because the music is great and just it's just a lot of stuff. But oh, Dr. Wily was in it because Mega Man was in it, of course. Oh, yes. Uh, it was very interesting. It was a very interesting time to be a kid right around that time. Yeah, that, of course, you had like Ninja Turtles and all that stuff. But I mean, in terms of video game ubiquity, Nintendo really had a lock on the like early to late eighties. It was, it was crazy. Good time to be a kid. Good time to be a kid. Absolutely. <laughs> Man. And, and all I had were pogs, power Rangers and gargoyles. Well, I mean, but see, that's what, that's sort of right after that era though. Pog. Yeah. I remember pogs was like nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I like, I, whenever I think pogs, I also think Hanson's Mbop. <laughs> for some reason it sounds like, like those would go hand in hand yeah <laughs> so weird but yeah man captain in the game and the interesting thing about captain in the game master was everyone was well like the you know kevin and the princess were like the two generic white stereotypes simon belmont was black huh well he was dark skin let me say that for, for anybody that jumps on me he was dark skin with blonde hair Sort of looked like a tan Johnny Bravo. Okay. Kid Icarus was a redhead. Mega what? Man was in green. Like it was, it, I mean, I guess, I guess the reason that they did that is because of probably copyright stuff with particular companies. Cause you know, Mega Man is Capcom. I think Kid Icarus is Konami, I believe. I know Simon Belmont is Konami. So maybe they're, they had to make those little cosmetic changes. So it didn't look too much like the actual, you know, whatever, but. Yeah, man. It was okay. a good it was a good time to be a kid. I don't know if the episodes are out on Netflix or anything. They might be on a on a torrent site. I'm not saying not <laughs> I'm not advocating for any illegal behavior, but 
if you get a chance to check it out, I don't know how well those episodes have have aged, but God, that was that was such a good time to be a kid. <laughs> I'm definitely going to research all these. So with you kind of not really having access to video games and all that stuff, do you feel like that creativity, I guess, from other things was a big part of your childhood? Oh, absolutely. I read so much and mostly mystery books, Encyclopedia Brown, Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys. Those were my go-to. And then once I finished those books, (laughs) I read my sister's Babysitter's Club books. (laughs) And there was like something up. One of my sisters had like American Girl magazine and would get books from like that too. And so I... I had all this unnecessary information uh-huh. about American Girl stuff and babysitting. It was just a lot of reading. I would just go climb a tree and then just bring books up there with me and just like do that all day. Wow. I distinctly remember Encyclopedia Brown. I remember, I think, I think we had like a school costume day one time and I was like Encyclopedia Black or something. <laughs> I remember that. I remember I wanted to be like a kid detective, you know. Oh, yeah. That sort of thing. The Encyclopedia Brown books were good. I don't know if they, I guess they're probably still around, I would imagine. Yeah, they should be. I loved reading those books, but they made me mad because they were like the choose the correct clues, like kind uh, of. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I always got them wrong. And I would like pause the book and I would just sit and think and go, okay, so Encyclopedia Brown went here. Did you say you would pause the book? <laughs> oh my goodness. See, <laughs> 2016 as a rule my brain. <laughs> you can't pause books, but now with the screen, you can. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. I would put my bookmark in the book, pause my reading, mm-hmm. and then try to like figure things out. And I would always get the answer wrong. I'd just be like, how did I miss this vital clue? But, yeah, those were fun books to read. You read those, like, in the 90s, I would imagine, right? When they, yep. So, Early 2000s. Okay, so, yeah, I don't know if you remember. No, you couldn't remember because you said you were born in 88, 89, 88? Yep. There was an Encyclopedia Brown TV show. What? On HBO. Yeah, it only ran for a season, I think. It wasn't that good. <laughs> uh, well, okay, good. I, I, don't, I don't have to feel bad. But it's probably it's probably again something you can you can hunt down and find. But there was a um, they had a had like these thirty minute episodes. I think it ran about I don't know like maybe about thirteen episodes. But you had you know Leroy Encyclopedia Brown. You had Sally Kimball. I want to say Bugs Meany was in it. I'm pretty sure they had him in there. You know all the the main things that make up the whole Idaville setting and all that stuff but yeah they had a tv show i'm surprised with all of the quote-unquote reboots and revivals and all that stuff i'm surprised encyclopedia brown has not made a bit of a comeback or at least like in a movie form or something like that yeah it seems like the kids from stranger things could just be in that show i could see that i could see that as you were talking about the TV show, I was thinking about the main character in Stranger Things. Like, he could be Encyclopedia Brown. Oh, I could. The, the the black kid that's in Stranger Things could totally be the new Encyclopedia. I would watch the hell out of that. If that, happened. <laughs> that would be so good. I would totally oh, watch man. it. Because there's nothing about Encyclopedia Brown in terms of how it's set 
that it can't be done like it can't be race bent in some sort of way you know right there's nothing about it and i would think especially now given the current political climate it would be kind of cool like mm-hmm. his dad's the chief of police and so he feels like he wants to help out in his own way in his community and becomes a becomes a detective you know we're giving I ideas here hollywood should be listening this is good this is good shit it's a ray. <laughs> we're done with it's a cure come holla at us <laughs> that'd be amazing oh yeah so where do you kind of see yourself in the next maybe like five to ten years what do you think you'll be working on I know that's a long ways out, but what what do you think you'll be doing? What do you want to be doing? I should say, man, so many things happened in the five years leading up to now. So, man, anything's possible. What I would love to do is, you know what? I'll just go crazy. I would like to have like my own building. I really, really love industrial like design and building it's like my dream is to find a factory just an old busted up factory nobody wants anymore buy it outright redesign it and everything i love concrete flooring and walls and i would just make that my headquarters for all my things and then just have like different floors working on different projects and yeah i would love to have that so basically like stark tower yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not thinking of like as many floors. I'm thinking more like five floors. But hey, yeah, the you gotta start, start somewhere. Start. You gotta start hey. somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. Stark Towers, man. Like, I just want to somehow one of my ideas just makes like ridiculous Google amounts of money, so I could just funnel all that into hoverboard tech. Okay, okay, like. It makes me so mad that there are these little things with like these basically handlebarless segways and people are calling them hoverboards. But they don't hover. Right. Hoverboards <laughs> don't have wheels. Like, oh my god, oh, it makes me so mad <laughs> when they first came out and I was like, what? No, no. <sighs> and Where's plus the imagination. <laughs> man. I just want a hoverboard. It's 2016. I shouldn't be walking. I should be gliding everywhere. But well, I guess the next best thing is what those booster boards. Have you seen those? Oh, man. <laughs> what is this booster board? It's like a long board, but it's got a motor on it. And so you basically kind of like kickstart it. Like, you know, like you, you kick off with your leg or something, but there's is a motor on it so you can continually ride on it without having to continually do that like kick push motion that you would with a skateboard. I've seen them in YouTube videos. Casey Neistat uses it a whole lot. Um, mm, you know what? That's probably where I did see this thing. So, I mean, that's like close, but it's not the same thing. Like it's not hovering. I would imagine if anyone I could imagine that would put that together would be like Elon Musk or something. Yeah. That, that would figure out how to get the right amount of floatiness and, because I would feel like enough to propel a human off the ground and on such a small platform. Yeah. Like you don't fall and bust your ass or something. So right, it would right. take some time. But yeah, a lot I'll... of research and development and years to go into this. But I have patience for this. And uh, Elon, he's busy saving the world from like 
high energy prices. So <laughs> once he gets that figured out, I'll like try to reach out to him and be like, hey, buddy, I got some ideas. Hey, there you go. Make it happen. Well, Paul, but, just, just to, to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Well, my portfolio site is dsgn.io. I named my portfolio design back when taking the vowels out of words was cool. Because <laughs> 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 this is kind of when I started to make websites. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then I grabbed design.io when that TOD was brand new. So no other place could take it. So that's a good place. And then my Twitter is NetUpWibby, N-E-T-O-P-W-I-B-B-Y. And that's pretty much like the main places I chill at. That's also my username for like virtually every social network. Where does the NetUpWibby come from? (laughs) So one of my favorite video games is Mega Man Battle Network. And the world of Mega Man Battle Network is like centered around AI companions called net navvies or, or internet navigators. And the people that control them are called net operators or net battlers. And so that's where net op comes from. Okay. And Wibby, I was bored in eighth grade and just was thinking about like, what's a good nickname for myself? <laughs> <laughs> and so I added a Y to the end of my last name. And I was like, well, that sounds dumb. So I changed the E to an I. And I was like, oh, nice. Wibby. I like how that sounds. And then Two weeks later, Puff Daddy came out with that Diddy song. (laughs) And people were like, oh, you copied Diddy. I'm like, did y'all not just hear me two weeks ago? (laughs) And they were like, no, you're a nerd. So you probably hacked Bad Boy. I'm just like, y'all are so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's so like that's where Wibby comes from. And then I just combine the two. And yeah. And plus, nobody has that name online, so that makes it easy for me to get the username I want. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, well, Paul Anthony Webb, thank you so much for taking time out to to come on the show. I feel like our conversation, you know, usually when I'm, you know, when I have guests on, we we you know talk about what inspires them and what motivates them and their mentors, and I feel like we just kind of geeked out for about an hour, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. And hopefully, for people that are listening, they don't feel like. Oh, I didn't get anything from this, but no, man, it's it's amazing. I think how much we have in common, just in terms of like our approach to projects and and mm. stuff like that. And yeah, man, I find the work that you are doing utterly fascinating. I find your work ethic and just how much you've been able to to spread out and do things very admirable. So I, I was just Thanks. really glad to kind of just have you on the show and talk about what you're doing and just you know just kind of just kick it for an hour. So thank you, I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Paul Anthony Webb and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Paul and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook really invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as showing how internal design critiques work, sharing resources about virtual reality and other cutting-edge tech, 
and by giving away great tools and resources like their design prototyping tool, Origami Studio, popular device templates for Sketch and Photoshop, and even diverse hands for mockups. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 14 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to grow their businesses, recapture sales, and make money in their sleep. And who doesn't want that? Sign up for a free account today. MailChimp, send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain. With free private domain registration and your choice of domains across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there, how can you turn that down? Save 10% off your first purchase by using our promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two and it really, really, really helps the show by bumping us up in the iTunes rankings for design podcasts and it makes sure that more people hear these wonderful, great interviews that we've done. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are out there and being told in their own words. So if you support us, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.